I'm Anna Rothschild, and this is Podcast 19 from 538. Today on the podcast, could the vaccine approval process be hijacked by the White House? The scientific integrity of the MMWR has not been compromised. It will not be compromised on my watch. That's the CDC director, Robert Redfield, speaking to Congress this week. He was responding to questions about President Trump's political appointees interfering with the weekly scientific reports that the CDC publishes about COVID. They're called the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Reports, or MMWR. The MMWR are how the CDC informs doctors, scientists, and the public about the state of the pandemic. Allegedly, Michael Caputo, the top spokesperson at the Department of Health and Human Services, and Paul Alexander, his scientific advisor, wanted to change what these reports said or delayed their publication because the wording didn't agree with the president's views of the pandemic. Since news of this interference broke, Caputo has taken a leave of absence and Alexander has left the administration. So we wanted to know if the White House could change the wording of reports from a highly respected government agency, what else could it do? Could there be political interference with the Food and Drug Administration's vaccine approval process? Could the science be tampered with? To speak about this, I called up Professor Susan Ellenberg, who's an expert in the FDA approval process. I am a professor of biostatistics, medical ethics, and health policy, and I'm interim chair of the Department of Biostatistics, Epidemiology, and Informatics at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, before that, I spent 12 years at the FDA, and before that, 11 years at the NIH. So I've been around the block. <laughs> yes, you have. You've basically hit all the major agencies. <laughs> Given all the news this week about Michael Caputo and the CDC, I asked Dr. Ellenberg, in your opinion, how easily can the vaccine approval process be influenced by the White House? Well, uh, you know, this is not anything we ever had to think about before. So there certainly can be political pressure when you work for an agency like the FDA. You know that different administrations are going to have different priorities, uh, and sometimes there's going to be push. But never anything, um, never anything quite like this that I can remember, certainly not in the years that I was at the FDA, and certainly never anything for vaccines. The FDA has the power to license a vaccine, so Americans can go out and get the shot at their doctor's office or pharmacy. And the organization is involved in every step of clinical trials. Before a pharmaceutical company can test the vaccine in people, it has to submit a detailed plan to the FDA, explaining what safety tests have already been done in the lab and how the vaccine will be manufactured. If at any stage of human trials there are questions about the safety or effectiveness of the vaccine, the FDA can ask the company to get more data or even stop clinical trials in progress. After the vaccine has, you know, been deemed safe and effective in a phase three study, what happens at that point? Because I think that's kind of where we're almost at with a few of the vaccines now. So let's suppose you get to the end, you haven't seen any worrisome safety problems, and the vaccine looks like it's protecting people against infection. Then the company prepares its submission to the FDA to request approval to uh, manufacture and market the vaccine. That's a fairly intense process. So they, they submit to the FDA the details on every study they have done. The FDA will then review everything the company's done, from the clinical trials to the manufacturing process. 
one of the really important things about vaccines is whether you can manufacture this vaccine consistently, and that turns out to be a bugaboo sometimes, that a company may have, have a vaccine that seemed to work very well in the clinical trials, but there's problems with getting consistency and manufacturing it from lot to lot. And then the FDA will also send inspectors out to the clinical sites where they ran the studies to kind of audit what they did and make sure there's no problem. So there's a lot of quality assurance processes that the FDA goes through. And finally, if the FDA doesn't see anything so egregiously wrong that they would basically cut it off at the knees, it will go to um, their advisory committee. That's the Vaccine and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, or VRPAC. They will uh, see key uh, laboratory, animal, and clinical data, and they'll have a, a, a meeting which will be op open to the public. Everybody will hear what's going on, and they will look at presentations from the company and from the FDA, and they will be asked questions about it. They will have a, an open discussion that everybody can hear, and then they will vote on whether, the, uh, whether they think the vaccine should be approved. And then the FDA will make the final decision. Who's the advisory committee made up of? Who are those people? Well, they're experts in uh, all the different disciplines that you need for, uh, to evaluate a vaccine. So you will have, you know, infectious disease specialists. Uh, you may have experts in virology or immunology. You will have biostatisticians who can evaluate how the data have been analyzed. Uh, there's always a community representative on those committees, somebody who, you know, who's part of the group that would use the product if it were approved. So there's usually about 12 to 15 or 16 outside experts, independent experts, who I should say are meticulously vetted for conflicts of interest. I mean, I serve on these advisory committees, and you know the paperwork is <laughs> very annoying to go through. Pages and pages and pages. They want to know everything that all any consulting that you've done, any connection you might have with any of these products or major competing products, um, before they will let you serve on the advisory committee. Is anything different about the FDA approval process, or like? suspected FDA approval process with COVID because we want to get this vaccine so quickly? Well, there, there certainly are times when things are hurried up. When I was working at the NIH back in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, we were working on AIDS studies. And, you know, you may not be old enough to remember, but there was certainly a big push and things were approved much more rapidly than they usually would be. They can be willing sometimes to take more risks. You know, when you have an urgent, life-threatening issue, you might be willing to take more of a chance. Now, you know, with AIDS, in the beginning, you know, this was a death sentence for people. Anybody who had the infection was expected to die of it. That risk issue was a little different from the risk issue with COVID because most people are not going to get, still not getting COVID. And of those who do, uh, many people won't even have any symptoms at all. And of those who do have symptoms, most of them will be mild. And even for those people who go to the hospital, most will recover. The risk benefit is different. We're not going to take a major risk with a COVID vaccine. We're not dealing with something that's going to kill everybody who gets infected. That said, some scientists have accused the FDA of taking unnecessary risks in this pandemic. 
twice, the agency has granted something called an Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA. In a state of emergency, the FDA can allow a product like a drug or medical device, or even a vaccine, to be used before all the normal regulatory processes have been cleared. Back in March, the FDA granted an EUA for hydroxychloroquine to be used as a treatment for coronavirus patients before there was enough data and despite public health experts cautioning its use. It turned out that hydroxychloroquine doesn't help COVID patients, and the FDA revoked its EUA in June. Last month, the FDA also granted an EUA to a treatment called convalescent plasma therapy after President Trump promoted it in a press conference. I know the FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, told the Financial Times that um, the FDA might consider granting an emergency use authorization to a COVID vaccine before phase three trials were completed. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's what's gotten a lot of people concerned and worried, but there's an independent committee, completely independent of the sponsor, independent experts who were reviewing the incoming data. And if they see partway through that they, there are no safety concerns and the vaccine's hugely effective. So let's suppose that, say, after 10 or 15,000 people were evaluated, let's suppose they had observed 50 infections. I mean, I'm making this up. Uh, and all of them were in the placebo arm. There were no infections in the vaccine arm and there were no safety issues. In a situation like COVID, that committee might recommend to the sponsor to say, we think there's enough data now to take this to the FDA. And, and if they did, and if they announced the results, something like that might be the basis for an emergency use authorization. And, and you could say, well, the study wasn't finished, but in fact it was finished because it's finished when the answer is believed to be definitive. And that's what they get from this independent committee. So th that may be what Stephen Hahn meant because if the trial isn't finished, the FDA doesn't have the information. They would only have the information if it was released by the sponsor. The other thing that he has said was that even with an EUA, I believe he said that it would go to, a, to an advisory committee meeting. So you'd have yet another group of independent experts um, looking, at the, looking at the data very seriously. So if, if really they do all those things, then you know, I would feel reasonably comfortable about it. Remember that if they, even if they do that, they're going to continue to follow the people who were in the trials so that if later on there's some kind of safety issue that arises, um, you know, they'll, they'll see it. In a situation like we are in now where it's not just people's health, but it's, you know, it's all the way that we're living now, all the limitations, schools and education and, and businesses, you know, there's, there's all these reasons why we might be willing to take a little bit more risk than we ordinarily would, but not, not very much more because vaccines are given to healthy people and we, <laughs> we don't want to mess around with that. How concerned are you that any part of this process could be hijacked um, for political purposes? I think there are many people who are concerned about that. The, uh, the head of the FDA, is a uh, presidential appointee. And so we understand that if the head of the FDA is not doing something that the president wants, the president has the right to remove that person. You know, who would take that person's place? Well, we've kind of seen what's happened when our president has removed other people from other 
uh, pos uh, leading positions and who he's put in their places. Uh, the, the head of the NIH is a presidential appointee as well. It's possible. It's possible that there could be that kind of interference. Whether things would go that far, it's very hard to say. But are there particular sort of like weak spots in this process that um, are more susceptible to kind of outside political influence than others? Certainly the, the decision about final approval, uh, because that will ultimately go up through the commissioner, who's a political appointee. But, you know, there are other places where there could be mischief. You know, studies that are done by the NIH, what would happen if... if um, you know, the administration wanted to look at the data before people thought it was ready to be looked at. It's hard to imagine it going that far. But we don't have systems that were developed to protect against the kinds of things that we're seeing now. But I, I feel reasonably confident that things would not go that far. I think the country trusts the FDA. I think the country trusts the NIH. And I don't think the administration would want to go too far in, in undermining that trust. You know, you've worked for both the FDA and the NIH. Um, in your experience, is medicine always politicized? You know, when I went to work for the, um, for the NIH, I thought to myself, this is the greatest job I could have. You know, I'm just seeking truth. And I learned pretty quickly that there's politics in everything. You know, the heads of each uh, agencies, you know, have to go to Congress for their, uh, for their budgets. And in order to get a better budget, they have to show them that they're doing fabulous work that's gonna, you know, that's going to uh, cure disease and, and, and do wonderful things. So in those, uh, in those presentations to Congress, do you think some of these things maybe get spun a little bit? You know, maybe they stretch things a little bit? You know, that wouldn't surprise me. I've not been part of that process. People want to make things look as good as possible. I've, I've seen a little bit of that. You do have some, you know, some political involvement from time to time. Not very often. Not very often. Does this feel different? Yes, this feels different. This feels different because we've already seen the politicization. We've seen the hydroxychloroquine issue. We've seen the convalescent plasma issue. Now, people are optimistic about convalescent plasma. Um, there, it, there's every reason why it should work, and there are studies ongoing that will show ultimately whether it works. It doesn't always work. It didn't work in Ebola. So you really need to do these comparative studies to, to, to see. Uh, and so I think a lot of people were dismayed to see convalescent plasma be, uh, be given the emergency use authorization. What data will you be looking for in order to trust a vaccine that, that may get licensed in the future? Well, of course, I'll be looking at the adverse event data for the vaccine, and I would also be very interested in, in what the advisory committee discussion was, because there will be people on that advisory committee who know way more than I do about the underlying biology of what's going on, and um, will be even be able to interpret the, uh, the adverse event profile better than you know, I, as a numbers person, will be able to do. What would it take for you to distrust a COVID vaccine? If it was clear that the approval was pushed, uh, not by the FDA, but by the administration, if there was anything that suggested that the experts who were looking at this did not feel it was ready to go, but it got pushed out anyway, that would make me not trust it. Trust, that's a key word in this whole vaccine approval process. 
we as a public need to trust that the FDA's process is going the way it should. To talk more about this, I spoke with Dr. Preeti Malani. I am the University of Michigan's chief health officer, and I'm a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases. Dr. Milani recently co-authored an article on reassuring the public about the approval process for a COVID-19 vaccine. What prompted you to write that? My, my co-authors and I happen to be thinking about this issue, as are a lot of people, and sort of put something together around the importance of, of transparency and safety review and just letting everyone know what the scientific review process is. People have had a lot of concerns that uh, the White House um, could potentially sort of insert themselves into the vaccine approval process. And I'm curious, do you share any of those concerns? The vaccine approval process really doesn't live in the political realm. There are longstanding guidelines on how vaccines become approved and specifically we talk about safety and efficacy, and we always present them in that order, safety and effectiveness. I'm, I'm confident that the FDA is going to do things correctly and that they're going to do things in a transparent fashion. And they've said that they would, and the pharmaceutical companies have also said they would. But with something that's brand new and being moved fast, it's going to be really important that the public is reassured. Even if everything looks great, they need to feel great about it. That's not to say Dr. Milani thinks this process so far has been flawless. There have been some missteps around treatments, whatever information, and really the reason for approval, whether it's an EUA or it's a traditional approval, the actual data on which something is being approved needs to be provided fully and transparently and needs to be, uh, needs to be there for other people to also review carefully. You can't have any any missing information, the safety has to come first. And I think, again, clear communication, transparency is going to be important. And with all the issues around COVID, it's not just a matter of making people safe. It's a matter of making them feel safe. People need to feel good about it because if you have an effective vaccine that no one wants to get because they don't feel confident, that doesn't help. Do you think that you as a scientist will feel confident in whatever COVID vaccine does get approved? I do. I do. And it's one that I will go and get. And I would encourage my family to get. I feel good about the, the system and the integrity. So does Dr. Ellenberg. If the vaccine goes through the process and really does look like it's safe and effective, I would certainly encourage people to get it. That's going to be the fastest way for us to get back to normal. I mean, I haven't gone anywhere except a couple of times to a doctor's office and, you know, occasionally into a, into a store in about three minutes to get something masked and everything. Nobody wants to live like that for a very long time. I just want to say that I am optimistic. I'm very hopeful that with all these vaccine candidates, we will uh, have a vaccine. And I'm also very hopeful that the process will play out in a way that's driven by the science and that this is, uh, this is a story for the ages. It's reassuring to know that scientists have faith in the process. Now, all we have to do is wait. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sinduja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. 
Thanks for listening. See you next week.